Hope you have your Bibles. Go ahead and open them up to Judges chapter 14. Judges 14. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. In the back of the worship center, there are two shelves with Bibles up there. Uh, at any point, uh, right now or before you leave, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those, and that is yours to keep. That's our gift to you. Uh, we want to get in the habit of, of bringing our Bibles, and when we open up God's Word together, uh, we are reading and we are studying the same thing with, right there, with it right there in front of your eyes. Today we are in part two of Samson's story, one of the most colorful characters in the Bible. The story of Samson is a tale of the strong becoming weak and the weak becoming strong. And what we're going to learn today is that Samson is his own worst enemy. Do you ever feel like Samson? I'm not talking about the long flowing hair or the superhuman strength, but what I'm saying is, do you ever look at chapters of your life and think, look at what I messed up? Why couldn't I have controlled myself? Why couldn't I have just held my tongue? What if I would have just said no? What if I would have not gone to the party? What if I would have not answered that call? What if I would have stayed home that night? I want to show you today that every morning when you wake up and you look in the mirror, you are looking at your own worst enemy. Specifically, I want to talk with you men. Honestly, there may be nothing more important that you ever hear. I want to show you how some of you are sabotaging and have sabotaged your life. Now, ladies, don't think that this story leaves you out. Because Old Testament scholars point out that Samson was supposed to represent all of Israel. So Samson's story tells Israel's story. And if you listen, probably your story too. The first story of Samson's adult life opens up with him informing his mom and dad that he wants to marry this hot Philistine girl that he's met in town. Judges 14 verse 3 says, His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Now listen, this is not racial prejudice. They just want him to marry someone that shares his faith. And then Samson's response in the New King James Version says, get her for me, for she pleases me well. If I had to boil down Samson's weaknesses into one statement, that would be it. Samson's primary driver in life is what pleases him. And he's not going to let anyone get in the way of what he wants. He's always going to follow his heart. He's always going to be true to himself. This is like a Disney movie in reverse. Samson rejects his parents' wisdom and lets his heart decide. Except this story shows you where that kind of thinking usually leads. Then verse 4, it makes a little comment that helps you see the bigger picture of what God's doing in this. It says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. Now, what does that mean? That God was behind this decision? Well, it doesn't mean that Samson's decision was righteous or wise, just that God was going to use it. Now let me step back for a minute and help you see the bigger picture of what's happening in Israel. 
Israel has grown really comfortable in their captivity. They're not crying out for deliverance. They don't even want to be delivered anymore. They actually kind of like the Philistines. This is the greatest threat they have ever faced. It is elimination, not by extermination, but assimilation. This is always the greatest threat to the people of God. You see, when the enemy of God comes against us to to exterminate us, what we usually do is we rally ourselves together, we put faith in God, and then he acts on our behalf. But when the enemy makes us uncomfortable in the world, he entices our heart away from God. And this is where Israel is. But God didn't save his people just to keep them alive, but so that they would be consumed in love with him. And now they are comfortably living in captivity to the Philistines. And so what God needs to do is he needs to stir up some conflict. Enter Samson, a hot-blooded, testosterone-fueled, impulsive meathead on roid rage. This next story in Samson's uh, life is the lion and honey incident that we looked at last week. It goes something like this. Samson throws this keg party to celebrate his engagement. And a few days before his party, a lion attacks him, and we have that great line in Judges 14.6. He tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. So evidently, goat tearing was common in those days. It's what you do on game night in ancient Israel. What'd you guys do for the fourth? Ah, you know, played some cornhole, shot off a few fireworks, Tore a few young goats, you know. Well, a few days later, he's passing by that same spot, and he sees the carcass of the lion he killed, and he notices a beehive in the abdomen. And it sparks an idea for a riddle. The riddle goes like this. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Samson says, if you can figure out the riddle within seven days, I'll give each of you a set of clothes. Well, they try to figure it out, and they can't, so they go to his bride-to-be, and they say, make Samson tell you the riddle, and you tell us. If you don't, we'll kill you. So she goes to Samson and and asks, and he won't tell her, and so she pulls the oldest trick in the book. She cries, and she says, Samson, you don't love me, do you? We're starting our marriage off with secrets. I'm going to take you on to Jerry Springer, and I'm going to expose you. Well, finally, Samson caves in, and he reveals the riddle to her. She tells the Philistines, and they solve it. Then Samson, the hopeless romantic, says in verse 18, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. I mean, what a way with words this guy has. Verse 19, then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. Now, here's my question for you. Why would God fill Samson with his spirit to do something so petty and vindictive? Answer? Because he has a bigger purpose here, and that purpose is creating division between the Israelites and the Philistines. Chapter 15, verse 1. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Because, you know, on date night, you'd get together and tear a few young goats. 
He said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Verse 3, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes. How he did that, I have no idea. And tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. Now, as far as practical jokes go, this one is awesome. He ties the foxes together, he lights their tails on fire, and has them go burn Samson was here in the cornfields. Okay? Pretty awesome. Well, the Philistines retaliate by killing her and her father. Verse 7. Samson said to them, since you have acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom, which was a small Israelite town. Well, the Philistines come to Edom, and they say to the Israelites there in verse 10, we have come to take Samson prisoner, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Verse 12, Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. Verse 14, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. So he does the whole smackdown routine on them, which was pretty cool, except, of course, that you're not supposed to touch a dead body. Remember the Nazarite vow? Chapter 16, verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Now, time out. He's not only with a Philistine, but now a Philistine prostitute. And Gaza, by the way, is the Philistine capital. His sin is getting more and more brazen. Well, the Philistines find out, and so it says in verse 2, the people of Gaza were told Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. You say, okay, well, what's, what's the symbol in that for us? Nothing. It's just an awesome story. He, he ripped the gates off of the post and carried them up to the top of the hill. When something like that happens, you write it down. It's awesome. Verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah. Verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. 
each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah asks Samson three different times what the source or the secret of his strength is, and three times he just makes something up. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Now, hold on. Hasn't Samson been burned by this before? Why? Why would he reveal his secret? Because guys are stupid. He doesn't have the strength to withstand her displeasure. You know, guys want harmony in their homes, which is a good thing. But oftentimes, some want it so badly that they will cave when they shouldn't. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, do you see how overconfident he has become? He falls asleep on her lap. He's so confident in his strength that he's willing to do that. He's confident that his strength will never leave him. But God is about to wake him up. Verse 19 continues, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Verse 20, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. You see, just like Israel, he didn't realize that he needed to be delivered. Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Actually, what they probably would have done is they would have burned his eyes with a metal prong, and then they would have scooped out whatever remained. And they took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Samson here gives you a picture of the trajectory of sin. It starts out fun, doesn't it? It's all strength and beer parties and practical jokes and, and Delilah and prostitutes, but it just doesn't end that way. I heard an old country preacher one time say, sin binds, sin blinds, sin grinds. Now, I'm not one for cheesy sermon outlines, unless you can remember it 17 years later, and that's pretty good. Verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That church is an incredible verse. And we're going to come back to it at the end. Verse 23, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. So at this big party, they bring out Samson. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. Verse 25, while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. 
So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it, including himself. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. What can we learn from Samson's life? If Samson is supposed to represent all the people of God, first we learn that we are our own worst enemy. The, the problem isn't that God has not given us the grace or the power or the blessing, it's that we sabotage it. So let me break down Samson's weaknesses into five components. We looked at a few of these last week, but they're worth repeating. One, he's impulsive. Samson is, is driven by his lust, he's driven by his stomach, he's driven by his anger. This one thing will wreck your life. I read an article about texting and driving. We know the stats. T typing on a phone while you're driving makes you 23 times more likely to have an accident. Texting impairs your response time more than alcohol and marijuana combined. People know that but they do it anyway. Why? Because in that moment, pleasing myself by knowing what my friends said or, or what they posted is more important than the safety of my family or my neighbor. So the main point here is not to, to just not to text and drive, though you shouldn't do that either. The point is a metaphor. If you don't learn to deny yourself, and obey the will of God, you are going to wreck your life. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person that lacks self-control because it leaves you defenseless before the enemy. I recently read a study done by sociologists in New Zealand. They did this massive project where they studied over a 1,000 kids over a four-decade period. They put them through all kinds of evaluative tests. They measured everything on these kids. Their IQ, their health, the material wealth of their family, their relational harmony. And they said the one factor that determined how successful they were in life, how much money they made, how happy their marriage was, the one dominant factor that mattered more than all of the others was whether or not he or she was able to control their impulses. It was more significant than their social class, the wealth of their family, and IQ. It was whether or not you could control your desires. Listen, if you do not develop this, you are going to wreck your life. So I want to ask you, what is your primary criteria in major decisions? What pleases you or what pleases God? 
You have to decide if you're going to be spirit-led or desire-led because you cannot be both. Second, Samson is compromising. Samson treated the commands that God gave him casually. He didn't mind breaking them. I'm sure he said to himself, what can this hurt? Cutting my hair? That's not really a big deal. But what if the harm was not in the action itself, but in driving the presence of God from your life? What if, you're, what if the compromises you've made in your family, in your relationships, in your finances, removed God's blessing from them? Maybe you're thinking, is it really that big of a deal? Everyone else does it. This porn, it's just a little harmless pleasure. It's not hurting anyone. This little fling, I can get away with it. The story of Samson shows you, do not take the blessing and the presence of God for granted. It can leave you. Three, Samson was unteachable. No one in his life could persuade him. Which leads to number four, he was isolated. Did you notice that no one is a part of Samson's life? He's a one-man show, a one-man wreck-it route, just destroying everything in his path. So I ask you, are people close enough to you in your life that they can speak into it? Are you correctable? How do you respond to criticism? Would the people who are closest to you say that you're teachable? What areas are off limits for people to comment in your life? Areas where when it's brought up, you say, no, 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 we, we don't talk about that. We, we don't go there. Because whatever that place is, is exactly the place that the enemy is destroying you. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. You see, the, the truth is, apart from community, you will always make it about you. There is no such thing as a healthy, isolated Christian. People who get serious about Jesus get serious about the church. For, for some of you, the, the sad reality is this is an event you attend, not a community you belong to. And if I'm describing you, you need to act on this today. You need to join the church you need to invest in this place. You need to join a small group. We're, we're launching a brand new round of groups on September 12th. There are so many ways for you to get connected into community. Today, you can sign up and get connected. You need to find a ministry to serve in. We have so many opportunities and so many needs here for you to belong to this place and not just be an event you attend. You know, it's popular today to to listen to a podcast or to watch sermons on YouTube. And if that describes you, I am grateful that you are listening to God's Word. I really am. But if that keeps you from attending a local church, please, I beg of you, stop listening and go to church. I get it. If you are watching from home, maybe you're watching right now, you're watching from home because of sickness or safety precautions, I get that. I totally understand it. But if you're not coming because you've made the conscious choice to isolate yourself from community, you need to understand that God transformed you not through podcasts, but he transforms you through godly community.
Number five, Samson was proud. He was proud in three ways. A, he assumed he'd never lose his strength. B, he never gave God glory. C, he felt entitled to use his blessings for his own purposes. So I ask, do you go through life thinking, I'll always have these gifts. I'll always have this health. I'll always have the ability to make this money. I'll always have the strength. James chapter 4 says that all such boasting is evil. Do you use your gifts to direct more attention to you or to God? Do you realize that the gifts and the opportunities that you have been given are all on loan from God to use for His purposes? For those of you who are in high school or college, have you said to God, God, what do you want to do with my gifts? For those of you who are in a career right now, have you asked God, God, what do you want to do with my job? Or are you only making decisions based on how you can build your own kingdom? The second lesson we learn in Samson's life is that the world needed someone greater than Samson. Samson is the last judge, the finale, and his story starts off so well. Samson has this grand birth narrative. He's given these promises of incredible strength, and we have such high expectations for him. You know how when you come to the, the finale of something, you get this sense of anticipation, this sense of excitement? I know that I do. I know that when I'm reading like a suspense novel or, or this book and I get to the last chapter, I'm like, all right, how's this going to end? I can't wait to see how this finishes. Or it's like the season finale of a TV show where, where that anticipation is building. You invite people over for a watch party because you want to see how it ends. So imagine for a moment that you're an Israelite and you're reading this and you're like, hold on, wait, what? Hold up, that's it? Because you know that there's got to be more to the story. And then 1,100 years later, Jesus of Nazareth shows up. He's born miraculously. Jesus was born of a virgin. He has incredible strength over demons, disease, and death. Like Samson, he was betrayed by someone who acted as a friend and was handed over to Gentile oppressors. Like Samson, he was chained and tortured and put on public display to be mocked. Like Samson, he dies with his arms outstretched. Like Samson, through that death, when it looked like he was defeated, he actually defeated the enemy. But unlike Samson, he was not put in chains for his sin. He was put in chains for ours. Samson was a strong man made weak because of his sin. Jesus was the mighty God who voluntarily became weak to save us from the chains of our sin. And church, that's good news because all of us are like Samson. We are all people who have been driven by our lust. We are people who compromise and are proud and who live for ourselves. But he, Jesus, was wounded for that. And when we behold that, it changes us. When you see that Jesus was given for you and you let him live inside of you, he fills you with a strength of character that allows you to be strong where Samson was weak. When you see that he accepted you freely by his grace, even though you lived as Samson, 
It is then that you are freed from the power of the impulses and the insecurity that made you weak. The third and final lesson we learn from Samson is that it's never too late to cry out to God. It's never too late to cry out to God. When Samson cries out to God, he is about as low as you can possibly get. He is in the middle of Dagon's temple where he has been blinded and bound because of his sin. That's why verse 22 is so important. But the hair on his head began to grow again. Church, here's why, is that, here's why that's so important. God's mercies, like Samson's hair, grow new every morning. They persist even where sin has cut them away. Some of you may remember a YouTube video that went viral a few years ago. It was about a homeless man. There was this art gallery in Sarasota Springs that sat out a piano on the sidewalk. It was open for anyone to come play who wanted to. So a homeless man comes and he sits down and he begins playing a beautiful song. He begins playing Come Sail Away by Sticks. It's a good choice. Everyone was blown away by his talent. Millions and millions of people viewed this, this video on YouTube and the exposure gave this man a chance to tell his story. He was an ex-Marine who went into depression when his wife committed suicide in 1998. He went into a spiral where he turned to alcohol and drugs. He ended up losing his home. Social workers took away his son when he was only three years old. With all the attention that he received, people began donating money to him. He received over $100,000, which was given to him once he got out of rehab. Also, he was reunited with his son for the first time in 15 years. And his college gave him a scholarship to finish his education. You never know how stories like this are going to end, do you? But I can't escape the beautiful symbolism that we find in it. For this man, his song never left him. It always played there in the background of his heart. He just started to play it, and it became the source of his new life. God's mercies are with you, like a melody of amazing grace in the background that has kept growing even when your sin has cut it away. I can't tell you exactly how this man's story ends, but I can tell you what will happen with you when you embrace God's amazing grace. You see, there are two responses to failure. Many people feel remorse. They say, oh, I should have done something differently. I wish I could go back and change things. And that's a good start. But you need to go on to repentance. Remorse focuses on yourself and it grieves what you've done. Repentance looks to God and asks Him to repair it. There is hope with repentance. Remorse without repentance turns to either self-loathing or bitterness. Self-loathing where you say, I hate myself. Bitterness where you blame other people for what's happened to you. Repentance means that you own and you take responsibility for what you've done. But, and this is the key, repentance also accepts God's grace. Listen, there are many things that you cannot undo Sin makes a mess, and maybe it's made a mess of your life. You can't unsin, 
but you can repent. Repentance won't change your past, but if you repent, you can keep your past from defining your future. If you feel like Samson today, I want you to know that it is never too late. You can repent today. Would you pray with me? God, there is so much that we learn in the life of Samson that is humbling to us. And Lord, although Samson got so many things wrong, we find hope in the midst of a tragic story. We find hope that even when we've made a mess of things, even when we've gone on our own and we've done our own path, even when we've been impulsive, even when we've compromised, even when we have turned to our own desires, even when we are filled with pride, we know that it's never too late. It's never too late to cry out to you and to say, God, save me. So God, I pray that we would be a people of repentance, that we would take responsibility for the mess that we've made, but at the same time, we would accept the free gift of grace that you offer to us. And we would say, I accept this. I'm turning from my old ways and I am embracing a new life knowing that I am free, I am forgiven. God, if there is anyone here who've never accepted the free gift of grace, who've never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they say, I'm ready to be a Christian. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. God, if there are people here today who have wandered away from you and for a while have been doing their own thing, living their own ways. God, I pray today they would realize it's not too late to come back. They can come back to you and receive forgiveness and embrace the gift of your grace. I pray that they would do that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.